Okay, I think we are rocking here. Okay, let me press record here too. Can I handle both? All right. Let me go ahead and just open up real quick again, and then we'll jump right in. Um, I'll read the text. Lord, just thank you so much for this group. Um, Thank you for every single person here. Uh, You have them here for a perfect reason. Lord, I pray that we would feel and know your love tonight. Uh, Fully given, freely given, uh, efficaciously given for your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we welcome you. Come, Holy Spirit. Um, Open up your word to us. Give us light, not just light, but heat. Um, Open up, soften our hearts, open up our ears and our eyes and our arms to embrace you, Lord. To embrace you and all that you offer through your salvation and your lordship. Uh, You are beauty itself. You are truth itself. We worship you. We love you. Uh, May your word give life. In Jesus' name, pray. Amen. Okay, so someone comes in and we'll point them here. We got one more chair left. Okay, so let me read the text again, I think just for good measure. And we're in Romans. Um, That's in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, it's totally okay. If you have one somewhere and you want to come back, dust it off and bring it, um, we'll be in Romans every week. Let me go ahead and read uh, the first 15 verses. So last week, we, I was aiming to get through the first 15 and did not, partly, largely because I had intro material, and we started a little late because it was the first week. So um, this week, we, we should be just fine. But let me go ahead and read. I'll go ahead and read the first 15 verses again, and then we'll start in verse 5 and just keep trucking. Okay. So Paul opens up the letter to the church in Rome. This is written about 56 A.D., just 20 years or so after Christ uh, was crucified and resurrected. And he was written to the church in Rome that he wants to visit, as you'll see, but has not visited yet. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, and here's where we'll pick up in our lecture, okay? Through whom we have received grace and apostleship, Paul's saying, right? To bring about the obedience of faith. We'll spend some time on that phrase for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, Gentiles, under obligation, we'll spend some time on that too as we close, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The word of the Lord, yeah, some of us are used to saying that, so I almost have to. Um, we talked, I'm not going to really review much in the first, uh, in the intro, in the first few verses, we'll just pick up in five, but I will say, we are in Romans, um, as we sort of pick back up on our Sojourn Academy classes and our equipping classes, 
after COVID and all sorts of other things, and we're about to move into this building, as y'all know, on Sunday mornings starting in October from Spring Branch, and it's sort of new beginnings. Thinking about what to, what to teach through first, Romans, as I prayed and thought, just seemed like as good a place as any. Um, partly because he really helps us understand how Jesus makes sense of all that God has done in space and time, in human history, and in the scriptures. Because the scriptures are God's way of telling us what he thinks is of primary importance in all the scriptures that have come before and all of space-time history, but in Jesus Christ. Here's how Jesus makes sense of everything that's come before, and God has orchestrated it all to point to his son and, to, and through Jesus Christ to open up a way for us to salvation. And so um, this will be a great way to gain an understanding. If you're, if you're here going, I don't know what life's about, Romans is a great book to study. This is a great place to be. If you're not sure what Jesus is all about or what sense he makes of the weird Old Testament, this is a great place to be. Um, and so we talked about that more in detail last week, and we kind of finished with, we finished with verse 4. Let me just read it, and, and I'll touch on it and say something that, I'll quote Luther again, and then we'll jump into verse 5. Um, so verse 4, Paul says, he's talking about Jesus, and he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. How? Why? By his resurrection from the dead. That's the event that showed us this man is the Son of God. So Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, so finished by talking about Luther, um, as, good a, as good a person to finish with as any. And, um, and he, he we, so we were talking about um, the resurrection. We, we dug into that for the past, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes of the last part of our, our time together. And we were talking about how the scriptures don't present the life to come uh, for the believer as one of being evacuated up into this Ethereum, up to this, up to heaven. Um, that's not our future. Um, it, it, and that's it. So our, our future is that, uh, that when we, when we die and we're in Christ, we will go to be with him, but then that's not, that's, that's not the final thing that happens in history. Um, there will be a point at which Christ will return and he'll bring heaven down to earth and he'll remake creation and there will be the resurrection from the dead and all will receive resurrected bodies, new bodies. And we talked about that some. And so the potential evil will be done away with and, um, and Jesus will bring about, um, he'll do away with evil, he'll do away with sin, he'll do away with sadness and he will bring about the full potential of a creation unstained by sin. And, and, um, and so what Luther said, I, I finished with this, but Luther was asked, if Jesus came tomorrow, what would you do? And, and what was his answer? Does anybody remember? He said, I'd plant a tree. So mom wasn't here last week, but she's heard me say it before, or maybe she's read it by reading Luther on her own. So Luther said, I'd plant a tree, and then he said th something like, think how well it would do. And... Um, and so the idea there being that Luther understood something of what I just said and much more, which is that far from the new creation being something that, you know, far from our, our future state in Jesus being something that has nothing to do with this world, God made all things and he pronounced them good. And so the, uh, the new heavens and the new earth are going to be uh, a capture, better. A ca this is a whisper, especially the sin-stained creation as it is, and, and we as we are racked by sin is a whisper compared to what's coming. It's a shadow compared to what's coming. And so everything that we do in Christ now won't be lost. We're not gonna leave it forever. Actually, it'll be like a seed planted in the ground that in the new creation, if we do it for Jesus, it will grow into this, as it were, massive tree with roots and shade and beauty 
and, and be there in the new creation forever without stain, of, without stain of death and so or corruption. And so Luther understood that the, the resurrection of Jesus meant his full commitment to this creation. He made all things and in so doing and pronounced them good and in so doing he committed himself to creation but in becoming one of us and dying for us and then resurrecting in his body but a new body but he still has the holes in his hands, right? There's continuity. He was saying, I'm not just going to do away with this creation. I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to restore it. I'm going to restore it. Um, okay, so I plant a tree, think how well it would do. So that gives us great hope as Christians to, to work uh, for this creation, in this creation, to see people brought to the Lord, to seek to restore, but to know that it doesn't, it's not going to happen fully and perfectly here with us or with those things around us, but that it's not a lost cause. Quite the contrary. We're planting seeds that are going to grow forever if they're done in Christ. Um, but that we don't have to cr- try to create a utopia because Jesus is going to come back. He's going to finish what he started, right? So there's that balance there. Um, okay, so that's where I stopped. And then let's jump into verse 5. So Paul says, um, and we won't read every verse again all the way through 15, but we will read some. So Paul continues in verse 5 of Romans 1 by saying, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship, So through Jesus, we've received grace and apostleship, he says, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Um, Through whom we have received grace. What does grace mean? It's related to peace. It doesn't mean peace, but it's, okay, undeserved. And what do you say in addition to undeserved? A gift that's undeserved, yep, you're getting, definitely getting closer, that's for sure. Yeah, it's definitely something that's undeserved from God. It's a gift, what, what else, anything else? Favor, okay, yeah, so definitely spot on. It really means favor, and it's certainly a favor if it's coming from God to us as sinful, broken, corrupted humans who rebelled against him. It's not favor that's earned by us, but it is favor, it means favor. Um, we who deserve God's wrath have instead, Paul saying, have instead received his favor question is how and Paul he gets into that in detail and we will too we want to let the text guide us but for now I can't help but saying how do we how do we who receive God's just and righteous punishment of our rebellion and sin receive as saints his favor how how does that happen happens through Jesus right And that's where Paul's going. He can't get away. He doesn't want to get away. That's what he's driving toward. It happens through Jesus. Jesus on this earth was called by the Father at various points in his ministry, the beloved. This is is my beloved son. It literally at certain times translates to the beloved. That was literally his name and his identity. The Father was saying to the world, do you know what I call this man? His whole identity is this. He's so loved by me. Perfectly. Since before time began, he is perfectly loved by me and receiving that love and giving it back to me and loving me in return and that love is who God is he's a he's a society he's father son and spirit and we're salvation in large part is being brought into that that love it's being brought in and it's inviting other people into that love that's what we're doing as, as believers we're enjoying the love of God given to us freely in Christ and inviting other people into that unearned by us love and fellowship Um, So Jesus is the beloved. He deserves the Father's love. As the Son of God, he always had God's perfect smile, as it were, to sort of anthropomorphize it. As the Son of Man, though, he, he, so as the Son of God, he always had God's perfect smile and perfect love. 
as a son of man, fully God but fully man, right, to represent us, he earned, through perfect obedience, he earned that, that love perfectly. He never disobeyed God from the heart. He was always glad to obey his father and to trust him. And he gave that favor to us, and he offers it to any comer. Anyone who will come to him and trust in him in the way that he has made, he offers that unearned favor, earned by him, but not by us. And what did he take in place of, he gave us that favor, and what did he take on the cross? He took the wrath. He took the just anger of God due us and gave us the favor due him. And we'll get much more into that. So that's what Paul's touching on in these preliminaries where a lot of, he uses a lot of the same words in a lot of his letters, grace and peace, but we want to at least a little bit dig into what they mean. And so we'll, we'll keep moving. And then he says, for the obedience of faith among all nations. So he says, through whom we've received grace and apostleship. Why? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Um, this phrase, the obedience of faith, occurs twice in this book. Bookends the letter, so it occurs here, and then it occurs at the very end. In, in chapter 16, there are only 16 chapters, verse 26. It's the second to last verse of the letter. Um, if you notice, this obedience of faith is not just personal. It's not just me and God. Um, so we trust in God to obey him. I trust in God so that I might obey him. But it's not just me and God. It's for all nations. So there's this huge, this wide, we're, Paul's letting us into his worldview. He's letting the Roman church and, and we through, and us through, through them into his worldview. And he understands that, that Jesus Christ is gathering people from every tribe and tongue and nation to himself as savior and as king. And he's inviting, and, and, and people from every tribe and, and every nation will be his. Every knee will bow. This is, this is Paul's view of, of, even his geopolitical view of where we're headed. This is Paul's great hope. He knows that's where we're headed. Not just to be whisked up to heaven, but that Jesus will reign as king over this earth, restored and redeemed. No matter what you might think of this politician or that war, that's not our hope. But we're not evacuationists because we know that we actually can commit to being good citizens and to being good neighbors. And, and because we know that what we do in Christ matters now. It will matter for eternity in this creation restored, right? So we have greater hope in what we're doing now, we know that it won't be washed away, and yet we don't have to create a utopia here on earth. Jesus Christ is reigning, he's king, he's pulling the levers. Now that he's resurrected, he's defeated death and Satan and sin and hell, he's on the throne of the, of the cosmos. He's at the nerve center of the universe pulling the levers. And guess what he's pulling him with? Nail-pierced hands. So every, he knows our pain, he's entered into our sorrow and our death and our sin, and he's, he became our sin, and he's killed the things that were killing us by dying himself. And so we'll get, we'll get much more into that. And so that is who is steering the ship. And that is the one to whom every knee will bow. So the Christians should be the most hopeful people on planet Earth and the most realistic. No evil in ourselves or in anyone else should surprise us because guess what we did? We crucified God. You can't get any worse than that. And yet God used it to say, to open up a door of salvation anyone who calls on his name, from any tribe, from any, no matter what your past is, no matter what your sin is, no matter what your story is, no matter where you're, what your skin color or your language, it doesn't matter. What matters is coming through to Jesus. Um, so this is where we're headed. Um, it's the tip of the spout of the funnel of world history. Uh, through his cross and resurrection, by the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God, 
God, through Christ, will bring about worldwide lasting obedience. Not only, look at the wording, not only through faith, not only the obedience through faith, not just through trusting in him, but the obedience of faith. Notice that, notice that phrase. It's the obedience of faith that Christ came to bring about and will bring about and that Paul's commissioned with seeing happen as he preaches the gospel. The obedience of faith. Faith, what does that mean? It means that faith is the obedience that God requires. Trusting in Jesus as the one who obeyed his father in a way that we never have, but I'm called to. And who gave his life for us and who calls us to himself, not just as Savior, but as Lord. So it's faith is the obedience that God requires. Not doing good stuff, but trusting in the good one, Jesus, the one who is good in our place. And guess what? As, as that newness, as Jesus then comes to live inside of us and takes over, and we are his through faith in what he's done and who he is and the way that he's brought us back into perfect peace with the Father, um, good works start to manifest in our lives. That's a mark of a Christian. It doesn't make us Christians. It doesn't make us Christians. It's a mark. That, that kind of fruit is a mark of a believer. We talked last week about how you can have perfect theology, but if you're mean as a snake, then God is love. And that characterizes your life. You don't know. Um, Douglas Moo says, he's a commentator, he says this, he says, Paul saw his task as calling men and women to submission to the lordship of Christ. You see that at the end of verses four and seven? A submission that began with conversion. Okay, it began with conversion, but which was to continue, he says, in a deepening lifelong commitment. Obedience and faith are interconnected. You cannot obey Jesus without trusting him. You can't do it. And you cannot truly trust him without obeying him, albeit very imperfectly, right? Can I get an amen there? <laughs> that said, the two words are not the same. They do not mean the same thing. They're distinct and speak, speak to distinct truths and realities. Moo again, he says, faith and obedience should not be equated, compartmentalized, or made into separate stages of Christian experience. Um, there's a, a church that I'm familiar with that kind of operates with this theology where um, it's kind of like there's an, there's an altar call and you're called to trust in Jesus, to come into a relationship, uh, to be born again, to come into a relationship with God through the work and the person of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. But then it's kind of like that until you die, you're sort of expected to behave and to be moral and to not do a bunch of stuff or to do a bunch of stuff. Um, and it's sort of in the way that it's taught disconnected from a life of faith. No, rather all that we do is through our restored relationship to God through Jesus. It's faith. It's faith in him working through us and him repositioning us perfectly with the Father, we are clothed in his righteousness. We are cleansed of our sin and we walk out daily as we trust him. So our lives of obedience, which is called sanctification, as his character works itself out in you through life, that's just as real as the minute you trust in him and are made his child. That's just as much by faith. Um, it's all of faith. It's all of faith. And you can see how obedience comes out of that. Um, Paul called men and women, so that was me, Moo again. Paul called men and women, Moo says, to a faith that was always inseparable from obedience. For the Savior in whom we believe is nothing less than our Lord. Jesus can't be Savior but not Lord. That's a false thing that like happened for a couple decades in America, this thing like he's my Savior but not my Lord. He, he can't be, he is the Lord. He is the Lord. And if he, uh, he, he came to claim our full allegiance and he, He's to be trusted in everything. Because how, how do we know we can trust Jesus? 
He rose from the dead, and, and, and the last part of what you said, what did he do for us? How did he show us his love? How did he show us that he, we can trust him even when it doesn't make sense? He, he laid his life down for us. He, laid, he, would allow, he, he became crucifiable. That's how he planned to save us. He allowed us evil men to crucify him, and he endured the white-hot wrath of God the Father, which we'll very much get into in Romans 3, 24 through 26, um, for us. So we know that even when it doesn't make sense in the darkest moments, we can trust him. He's trustworthy, right? Um, so he says, for the Savior in whom we believe is nothing less than our Lord and to an obedience that could never be divorced from faith. For we can obey Jesus as Lord only when we have given ourselves to, faith, to him in faith. Um, we'll, 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 we will get into this a little bit more next week because it's very relevant to, the, to verses 16 and 17, which we'll hit on. Um, and I'll, quote, I'll give you a great quote by my, a guy named Michael Horton who's out on the West Coast. Um, Karl Barth said, they, meaning obedience and faith, the obedience of faith, right? They belong together as do thunder and lightning in a thunderstorm. You can't divorce one from the other. True faith engenders obedience. And obedience does not come but through trust in Jesus. Because Jesus gives us a new heart. So everything that you're doing and it's not out of a life of faith and a new creation in Christ is just dead wood. It's just dead wood. It has to come from a new heart and only God can do heart surgery. Only God can give us that new heart. It has to be a miracle. We have to be born again. Moo concludes, this, viewed in this light, the phrase captures the full dimension of Paul's apostolic task, a task that was not confined to initial evangelization, but that included also the building up and firm establishment of churches. Um, so we'll dive, like I said, more, mo much more deeply into this next week as we unpack verses 16 and 17, the thesis of Romans. Um, so, but here's, here's the concluding paragraph of Romans. Um, with that phrase again, the only other time it occurs is at the end, Romans uh, 16. He says, starting at verse 25, Romans 16, and 5, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, as Paul winds down this letter, he says, in the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, so for centuries, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. And Paul spends the book of Romans telling us what that is, right? Unpacking it. According to the commandment eternal God, here's the phrase, to bring about what? The obedience of faith. Verse 27, last verse, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, so a, a new creation full, 100% full of beings who are obeying God from the heart because of a relationship that they've been brought into through trust in the one who lived for them, died for them, rose for them is in them by his spirit and is reigning among them as the returned king. You don't need locks on doors. No more sin, no more cancer, no more death. Um, this is where we're headed. Total telos, um, a, a, which means a goal, a, an end point. Um, we know where we're headed. Paul knows where we're headed, and he's going to unpack, unpack that much more. Doesn't seem like it now. There's so much darkness, and Christianity seems to be on the wane. But just a few things on that. Um, first of all, number one, with regard to just Christ ruling over the nations and in total obedience of faith pervading the new creation. Think globally. Don't think West. Think globally. That's the first thing. Um, Christianity in pretty much every other uh, part of the world right now is growing faster than it's ever grown. Uh, since the church, since the New Testament church began, 
um, at Pentecost 2,000 years ago, um, almost exactly 2,000 years ago. So it's, it's in Europe, it's dying uh, right now. That doesn't mean that it has to continue to die. Um, I'm, I'm, I think there's a lot to show that it won't um, if, you, if you study history and, and, trust in, and trust in God and what he's doing by his spirit. Um, but it's, it's dying in Europe. It's, you could have said a decade ago it's kind of holding its own in America. It's dying here too now. I mean, it's amazing how that's sped up. But again, we have, we have great hope, and our hope isn't in our countries. It's in, it's in the living God and Jesus on his throne. But everywhere else, in the global, in the global south, in, in you know, south of us, um, in Africa, um, in, in Asia, and even in parts of the Middle East, we're seeing massive, uh, massive coming to Jesus through massive suffering. So more Christian, more people are coming to Christ right now than ever in history. We don't see that probably unless we, unless we're really tuned into what God is doing around the world because we're in the West. Um, so think globally, not not West, not just West. Um, think historically, not just present day. So if you think historically, not just present day, two thousand years ago, think about how much darkness there was on the earth. Jesus' own people, there was only one people on the face of the earth that, uh, that worshipped God truly through his word that, they, that he gave to them as to how to approach him. And that was the Jews. And the Jews crucified with the help of the Romans, which means, and then hanging on the cross for our sins. So we're not lampooning or scapegoating the Jews, but his own people put him on the cross. Um, and so, and then when Jesus died, the only light left on the world was extinguished. So literally, light was gone. But then three days later, he rose, and he left death in the ground, and he paid for sin. And ever since then, um, think about the light that has grown. The Christians started as a small bunch, but at Pentecost, 3,000 came to know him. And then by the time Paul's writing this letter, he can literally say, is it, in, is it in verse 8? He can literally say, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. By the end of his ministry, uh, in the mid-60s, 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead, he can say, hey, the whole, the whole world is, uh, the whole, there, there, there are Christians all, all around the known world. And what, by, he, by that, he basically meant the Roman Empire. Um, and now today, like we could easily be, numbers say that we probably will be the first generation in history uh, to see every single tribe and tongue have scriptures in their own heart language and to have heard the gospel, to be able to read it for themselves. And so, um, and like I said, pretty much everywhere but the West, Christianity is growing by leaps and bounds. And so... Uh, don't just think globally. Don't just think the West. Think globally. Don't just think present day. Think historically. Um, you know, think of the the Rome that Paul was writing to and beheaded in. Um, now we, we could be the first people to see the Great Commission realized to every the gospel going out to every tribe and tongue. So the light is absolutely covering the world in a way that it wasn't two thousand years ago, and it's and it's will continue to spread until Christ returns. Um, Thirdly, remember that God keeps promises. Every knee will bow. You know, did he provide a way of salvation through the Son, that, through the Messiah? Yes. Did he rise from the dead? He did. Is he, is, did he ascend to the right hand of the Father and is he reigning? He is. is the, has the light been spreading around the world through persecution for the past 2,000 years? It has. Such that now there's hardly a nation that hasn't heard. 
and the nations are no longer deceived. So God keeps his promises. Every knee will bow. His rule will be over every nation for its good. Um, think about what, again, I said this a second ago, but what his rule will look like. The rule of a king who, who hung on a cross for us, who endured the wrath of his father. He deserved the smile. He took the wrath we deserved for us. Think about what his rule on planet earth, in every heart, is going to look like. You know, Keller, Keller used to love to say this. Um, like, there are psalms that talk about the trees, and yes, it's poetry, but they talk about the trees, like, singing and swaying, and they talk about the rivers clapping their hands. And uh, he's like, man, even now in this broken creation, Paul gets into this in Romans 8, the creation is groaning because of our sin, waiting for our full redemption, at which point it too will be renewed. Um, but even in a broken creation, think about the mountains, how they just make you want to, at least this boy from Houston, when I get up in the mountains, especially after the summer like we just had, I just want to sing. The way the mountains draw your eyes and your heart up to the power and the majesty of God, or just a, a, a tree, or a, a, a flower growing on the side of a um, of the highway, or a bird singing, or the wind through the trees, um, and that's just a whisper of what's coming. Um, so, Tim Keller, uh, he, he writes this in a, in a book that, um, as I said last week, I'm, we're going through the book of Mark, and he has a book that used to be called um, King's Cross, and that's the version I have, but it's now called Jesus the King, and it's a, it's a, walk, it's a book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, and in it, toward the end, he says, you know, so he recently, Keller recently, this summer died of, he was a pastor up in New York and an author, and he died of, of, uh, of cancer. And, but he, before he, he died of the cancer uh, that he had, he had thyroid cancer, like 2003, I want to say. And so he writes this a few years later, this book, and he said, so he had thyroid cancer, and he was being wheeled in to be put under the knife for them to try to remove the cancer. And um, he was pretty confident he'd come out of it. That's what they told him. But he, you, never, you never know, right? And, and so um, he goes, true confession, what came to mind right before I went out was uh, uh, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it was a passage from the Lord of the Rings and lots of scriptures. Um, Seth and I are, there's three parts essentially. It's one book, but Return of the King is the last bit. And that's, it's a passage from that last bit. Seth and I are in that bit now. Um, and it's a passage from Return of the King, which is even farther on than Seth and I are where Frodo and Sam, uh, two of the heroes of the story, are journeying into the heart of darkness, into Mordor, into this cracked, dark, barren land with lava and fire and ash choking you, and there's no beauty at all, and there are orcs on the prowl everywhere, and there's very little hope of, of success for their mission, and they're basically going to die. And they're exhausted. And they're weighed down by this ring that Frodo has, this ring of power, this evil thing. And Sam is his helper. Sam's kind of the hero of the book. And uh, they're near despair. They're in Mordor, in the blackness of Mordor. And it says this. It says, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land. And hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him. But in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. His song in the tower had been defiance rather than hope, for then he was thinking of himself. Now for a moment, his own fate ceased to trouble him. Putting away all fear, he cast himself into a deep, 
untroubled sleep. Keller writes this. He says, I remember thinking at that moment as he was going under the knife, it's really true. Because of Jesus' death, evil is a passing thing, a shadow. There is light and high beauty forever beyond its reach because evil fell into the heart of Jesus. The only darkness that could have destroyed us forever fell into his heart. It didn't matter what happened in my surgery, Keller says, it was going to be all right, and it is going to be all right. And Keller's with his Lord now, and Jesus will return, and Keller with him for his own, and he will receive a resurrected body and will live forever with his Lord and with those that he loves that are in Christ in a new creation. And that's where we who are in Christ, through no good of our own, are headed, something that's freely offered to all. So that, that is the end of, I said in a very unsexy sort of breaking down of, of this introduction by Paul, this amazing letter the letter to the Roman church, the first 15 verses before he gets into the thesis of the book, which is verses 16 and 17, that's next week, um, he has this intro. And so we've really been looking at who wrote the book, Paul. That, that's, we just finished that point. Now, much more briefly, I promise you, um, and I will be done by, okay, so we need to be done by nine, so I have about 12 more minutes to finish, to finish up. Um, Maybe 15 max, but 12 or 15 minutes to finish up because I want to give you guys a full, a full 30 and then we'll close down by 9 for the Q&A. So, so that's who, who wrote the letter, Paul, and then to whom, the church in Rome, Paul picks this up in, uh, in verse 7. He says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So to whom, who's he writing this letter to? The church in Rome. And he says, grace to you and peace. We've talked about that word grace a bit, so we won't spend much time on it, but grace is, again, it's, a, it's also described, it's favor, it's favor from God. It's also described as a beneficent disposition toward. So again, think of God smiling when he sees someone that has his grace. And what is Paul saying? He's saying to the whole church at Rome, these people who months or years before had been completely estranged from God, Jews and Gentiles living lives of sin. He says, grace to you. He's saying, God, when he thinks of you and when he looks at you, he has a beneficent disposition towards you. Why is it? Because you're awesome? Why is God smiling when he looks at you? It's like a parent smiling over a child, ready and wanting to bless that child with every resource at that parent's disposal. This is what the grace of God is. And again, it begs the question, why does God smile when he sees us, us if we are sinners? And it's not because we as sons and daughters have earned that. It's because of uh, the beneficent disposition of God the Father toward his son. That's why his son came, to give us what he alone has given to us, and to take what we deserve, right, which we'll get much more into as the book opens up. He says grace, not only but grace, but peace, right? That's what Barrett mentioned earlier, um, peace. So grace and peace, they're a pair, they go together. They don't mean the same thing, but they build on each other. Peace is not just, don't just think of, a lot of times in our culture we can think of peace as like an absence of strife. And it certainly is that, but the, the biblical word peace that Paul's using in the Greek but drawing on in the, in the Hebrew Bible is, is not just a cessation of bad stuff. It's not, it's the, it's the opposite of war certainly, but it's not just a ceasing of strife. So think in that sense of Germany in the late summer of 1945 or even Great Britain in the summer, uh, or certainly America too, but of the late summer of 1945 is the second great war ended. Um, so not just a cessation of hostilities, 
with everything war-torn around it, but a fullness, rather, of life and prosperity. Uh, like really living, everything needed for real life and blessing. Um, wholeness and health in body and soul. So think of, I said here with a smiley face, think of Switzerland. <laughs> so real, um, of course, they're neutral and you might have your opinions about that. They've never engaged in any of the major wars, but that aside, um, it's, it's, it's wholeness and health and beauty and goodness, right? That's what, that's what the biblical word for peace means. And that's what's being conveyed to, to us through Jesus. So uh, a theologian, a Dutch theologian called uh, Herman Ritterboss says, peace refers not only or in the first place to disposition, but is the denunciation of the all-embracing gift of salvation, uh, the condition of shalom, um, which God will bring again to unrestricted dominion. Um, I don't know why I said, I wrote down denunciation, but it must be annunciation. I don't think it's the denunciation. Ah, I need to go check that. Um, let's just say it's the annunciation of the all-embracing gift of salvation, the condition of shalom, which God will bring again to unrestricted dominion. So again, it's got that worldwide aspect. It's not just, hey, peace to you, a personal peace and a, and a prosperity and a wellness and a flourishing, but he's really casting ahead to this total creational renewal that Christ is working even now through the most evil and unfortunate and horrible things, and even through our own sin and through the evils that come upon us. Um, but he's taking us somewhere. He's taking us somewhere. He's going to finish what he started. We have this great hope of a complete restoration of ourselves and of the creation around us as, as believers. Um, okay. And then he says, beloved of God, right? Oh, well, or, or, or I, I say that, beloved of God, right? right? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved of God. This is our identity of, of all those who are called in Christ. 1 verse 6. Um, as I said, it was what the Father called his son during Jesus' ministry. This is my beloved son, literally a beloved. It's what characterized his son, the loved one. Um, what does faith do? Faith covers us in Jesus. He becomes our identity. We hide in him. Faith inserts us into the person of Jesus Christ. And it, he actually comes to live inside of us as well. So we're covered in Christ and we are inhabited by Christ. What did Jesus say in John 15? He said, abide in me. Abide is related to the word abode. It, it simply means find your home in me. I'm your home. Hide in me. Be at rest in me. Be at peace in me. I, I'm the one that you can come into and take your slippers off. I, the almighty God, and go, finally, I'm home. All the broken bones have been set. Everything makes sense now. I'm sitting in front of the fire. I've got my cup of tea or coffee or my pint of ale or whatever it is, and the world is right. That's, that's who the living God is in Christ. That's, what, that's the relationship we're made to be in with him, but sin makes us his enemies. Jesus became an enemy so that we could be brought into um, into all of the benefits that, that he enjoys as the son, right? So that's what Paul's drawing on here. Um, when I say faith cloaks us in Christ, it reminds me of one of my professors, uh, old professors in seminary. He was pulling out into a street, and um, he was pulling out into a street, and he looked, you know, I remember in, um, this is for you 15-year-olds that are going to be driving soon. Um, I remember in uh, Safeway Driving School, I went to, you know, and they told, they always told us like, look right, look left, but then look back again, you know, look three times, not just twice, because you never know, like, something could have happened. I look here, and I look here, but something could have happened since I looked there, so I got to look one more time. And uh, he didn't do the look one more time, and he pulled out, 
and uh, there were cars that, turns out there were cars that were racing, and they were going, it was in like a residential area, and they were going 130 miles an hour. So he looks right, nothing, or like way, way down their specs. He looks left, he pulls out, and then all he could see was them coming, and he, they were so close and going so fast that he didn't have time to do anything, and he said, what popped into my head when, at the moment when you can't decide you're going to do anything, was the, um, was me, uh, covered, as in like a, a like a, a, a ball of protection by, in Jesus. Uh, and then, and then the car struck, and it should have killed him. Um, I remember my friend had a, a sugar squirrel at, at, uh, at university, and he would, they had a dog too, and the dog was infuriated by this thing, because the sugar squirrel was just very vulnerable and tiny, and he would, he would do this around with, with impunity. He would just roll around in his, he had a little plastic, hard plastic ball that he'd roll around in. Uh, the kid, and, and, uh, and the dog would be like, rah, 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 you know, and try to, he'd try to bite the thing and nose it, and he couldn't do anything to the squirrel. The squirrel would just kind of roll around the house uh, like he was master of the domain because he was covered, completely covered, completely protected. And that's a silly example of, of truly how Christ covers, no matter what, no matter what comes how Christ covers those who are in him by faith. We're inserted into Jesus. Um, so, so Paul's writing to this church in Rome. He's conveying these things with these words that are so full of meaning. We're covered not just by his blood and righteousness, but by him, by Jesus himself. When God sees you, he sees, if you're in Christ through faith, he sees his beloved. Who are you? If in Christ by faith, you are the beloved. I don't care, don't, I don't care what your feelings are telling you, I don't care what the enemy's telling you. I don't care what your circumstances are telling you. That doesn't matter. That's not, it does matter, but it's not determinative as to your reality. If you have trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your reality is that you're cloaked in him, you're covered in him, and he will never, ever let you go. That will never change for all of eternity. And you are dearly beloved because you are inserted into Jesus, and he's making you more and more like him through the obedience of faith. Um, so we together as the church, the called ones, are the beloved, bound by Christ himself, and he is our head, Colossians 1.18. Um, and then Paul says this, and then briefly we'll just look at the third point, why, um, why. And so grace and peace, Paul says, to you from whom? From anyone? From no-no the clown? No. Who does he say from? Yeah, from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, there's a sense in which all of our problems are dad problems. All of our problems are daddy problems. Um, it's a bit of a reduction, but uh, everyone has them. And so, ma so many of our problems are daddy problems. Which is one of the, and, and part of the reason for that is because God is the Father. He is the Father of life. He has a son. And he loves that son perfectly. And we've been estranged from the love of the father who made us and who made us for himself. And our hearts are restless until they rest in him. And so because of that estrangement, um, we have all sorts of relational issues. We're, we're broken. We're, we're divided in ourselves. We're divided from others. And that special relationship that we have with or that we're to have with our earthly fathers is so powerful for good but 
to some degree, it's always going to be tainted by brokenness because no father on this earth is perfect. And it's extra powerful because God is a father. And what he has come to do is to bring us back to his perfect heart through his son, Jesus Christ, and to, res- to re- restore us and to mend us, to make us whole. And to be the rest and the force that we are running, running after all of our lives and seeking these other things. Maybe it's this job that'll tell me, a little, um, that'll set the bone, that'll heal the wound. Maybe it's this person, this guy or this girl. Maybe it's this relationship. Maybe it's this amount of money. And on and on we could go, right? Yeah. So, so Jesus came to bring us back into the very heart of the Father. Received by faith. He opens those doors. So finally, as we, as we wrap, um, it'll be interesting to see how I do this because I do want to give you all time. As we wrap, I really just have one page left. Why? Why, uh, why is Paul writing? And in verse 8, quite simply, um, he's writing to bless them. What does he say in verse 8? He says, first, and he goes, of course, through verse 15 in his, this introduction. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Um, and he goes on to talk about, I'm always praying for you. I want to come to you because I want to see you because I long to see you in verse 11. Because I want to I wanna give you a gift through my presence. I want to I wanna, I wanna, um, see your spiritual gifts come into play more. And I want to receive benefit from you. So there's this amazing sort of relational language that we talked about last week a bit. And this is all really kind of a piece. Um, so we don't need to spend long on this and we won't. And then we'll open up to Q&A. Um, but we get a, let me just say, like in verse 9 he says, how unceasingly I mention you in my prayers. So he's just praying for these guys constantly. He's never seen them. He didn't plant this church. He's never been there. He wants to get there. But we get a vital glimpse into Paul's ministry here. Remember how last week we talked about how he's not a brain on a stick? He's this man who loves people. And why has he been transformed into this guy who was this hard A, dogmatic? His theology drove him to hate, to throw Christians in prison, possibly to, and certainly to be an accomplice to, to execution and maybe murder. How is he like this now? Because the God, yeah, the God who has given his own son, his beloved, to rescue and redeem sinners like us. The very God who hung on a cross with a smile on his face, as it were, to save us. Owns Paul, lives in Paul, is making Paul day to day to day more like him. So, so Paul is, he's effusive. Full of affection. He's worshiping God with all of his mind, with all of his heart, with all of his body. And this is what Jesus does to us. By degrees, he makes us more and more compassionate, tender. We don't mind, and you see this here, and then, and then we'll draw to a close, but we don't mind. The more that we understand how deeply we're loved and how deeply flawed we are, like my sin put Jesus on the cross, and he died for me and loves me. And he brought me all the way back to a relationship with the Father. That so grounds me. That's my identity. I'm, cl- I'm totally covered. In Jesus. So, so I can be known. So, so I, can, I can tell people like, oh, I can't wait to see you. I love you so much. I've never even met you. But man, I can't wait for, for you to benefit me, for me to benefit you, for us to be in each other's company, to have, take the next step in our relationship. Even if he's rejected by them, it's okay. Because guess what? He has the love of the Father through Jesus Christ. That's who he is. So he can be wide open in his affection. Imagine being like that. I mean, I've, I've only tasted bits of that but to walk to walk into a room and not to not to be thinking about 
what people are going to think about me, but as Tim Keller said in a sermon, to be self-forgetful, the freedom of self-forgetfulness, just grounded by the love of God in Christ, knowing who you are, dearly beloved, deeply flawed, loved anyway, he's never going to let you go, and Jesus died for each one of you and loves you so much, so all of a sudden I'm interested in you guys. You know, to be that kind of person who goes after folks because you know who you are and you know how much he loves them, and so you're more interested in them. Wonderful. We see that here with Paul. That's where Paul takes, that's where God takes each and every one of his, by, by fits and starts, right? It's never going to be perfect until we see him face to face, and then it will be. Um, anything else I want to pick out? Um, he uses very strong language in verse 11. I long, epipotheo, I, I almost, it's, it's related to the words lust. It doesn't mean lust, but it's, it's a very strong word. It's a yearning to be with them. Wonderful. It all comes from Jesus. Um, and then the bit that really is important, but I, I'm just going to have to skip over it. In verse 14 where he says, I'll just read that and then make one comment and we can, I'll close this and we can have a Q&A. But he says, I'm under obligation. I'm under obligation to verse 14, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. There's so much there, but... In short, and Paul says it in other places in other letters like 1 Corinthians 9, 16. He says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Necessity is laid upon me. He says, I'm a debtor. Is he, does, he owe, is, does he owe them because of something they've done for him? No. Rather, here's what he's saying. Tie a bow around this and, and, then, and then close this out. Um, he's saying uh, that he has been given, some, been given something, namely a charge by the living God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus died for Paul to be his savior, to be his Lord, to be his lover, to be his master, and for Paul to go. And he's been giving something that he cannot keep. It's not for him only. It's for him to give to the Gentiles. He has been commissioned as the missionary to the Gentiles, to all the non-Jews in the known world, to tell them, to discharge this amazing, to give it to them, not just to keep it, that sort of weight on Paul, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. I'm a debtor to you. I owe it to you to tell you about the good news. I cannot keep it to myself. There has to be something of that. Even if we're not apostles like Paul, apostles to the Gentiles, we still are called to read this and to go, this is actually a commission and a call for every single child of God in some form or fashion to have this sort of burden. It's not, we were not saved just to enjoy Jesus and that wonderful news, free, a, a free salvation, a free forgiveness in Jesus, just to keep it to ourselves, but rather to enjoy Jesus and to invite others in and to proclaim it to them. So often I'm so enjoying, we, took, we were, um, as I close, just say this, we were, um, we'd been in Jonah, you know, at the Sojourn Spring Branch, preaching through it, and Jonah so, so enjoys the favor of God and the, mer- the, undeserved, the undeserved favor, the mercy of God, the fact that he forgave, God forgave him of his sins, didn't swallow him up, didn't kill him, didn't refuse him, but recommissioned him, had mercy on him. Um, but he didn't want to pass that on to others. And so often, I, I don't, I enjoy God, but I don't care so much about passing it on. But Paul, you see, is completely different here. He's He's so burdened to, he knows that he is a debtor to pass on what he's been given. He has to. And he's bursting to do it with 
not just his head, not a compulsion like you're making me do, but rather a, a holy compulsion. I can't wait to. I have this affection. I have this. Um, and so we're going to see that work its way throughout the rest of the letter um, with Paul here. Um, Paul is not only burning to preach the gospel to the unconverted, but also to build up the converted. We see that in verses um, 11 through 15 and not just in verses 14 through 15. So what do Christians as well, what do, what do Christians also need to grow in Christ to full maturity in Jesus? We need the gospel. As Keller um, was fond of saying, the gospel isn't just the ABCs, back to, to loop back to what we started with. It's not just like come to Christ and then do your best to live a good life. It's not just the, the starting point, the starting block of the Christian life. It's the A to Z. It's the soup to nuts. It's, it's the head to toe. There's nothing, there's no life outside of the free grace of God in Jesus Christ. And just living in him. He bought it fully. He offers it to us. It's received by faith. We're going to get in much more into that next week. Um, now let me say this. As we close down and move into Q&A, I will be out of town next Monday. Um, as far as I'm aware, other than like spring break and the, the, the time toward the end of the year and then January 1st, um, other than spring break, which we'll all take off together, this is the only Monday, this, is, this trip's been planned for a long time, Monday that I'm just not going to be here. So we'll be back on um, the following week, October 2nd, for Romans 1, 16 and 17. It is the thesis of the book, so please come back. Please don't, please don't like get out of the habit next week and then not come back the next week. We'll 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 let you know. We'll remind you, but um, I will not be here next week. We will remind you of that, and then the following week we'll ba we're back on October second for Romans one sixteen and seventeen. That's really where Paul gets underway. So we've kind of just been warming up here. Um, so please do, um, please do join us for that. Let me let me just close this, and then we can have some. Q&A time. Lord, thank you so much for, um, for this time as we just marched through, it feels like a complete, we're just zooming. Uh, I'm jealous of Martin Lloyd-Jones who uh, took 377 Fridays to seven years to march through Romans. But you have your plans for us. And we're so excited to to walk through this amazing, amazing letter um, that shows us how, uh, how you've come to save us in Jesus and how that makes sense of everything and how it shows us your very heart and your character in, in an amazing way. Um, thank you for tonight. Thank you for every single person here. I pray that nobody would leave here without doing business with you. These aren't just words. This is your words. This is, this is the best news that there is and maybe the single best expression of that news. And so, Lord, I pray that your word would not return void in that no Christian would leave here not encouraged, not built up in you. And no person that doesn't know you would leave here without really considering the fact that you came, you passed through the heavens and gave yourself utterly. You were utterly broken and broken save someone here tonight. Someone's here tonight. Your arms are open wide and you beckon us to come to you and to stop striving and to stop running and to come to you because you love us that much. So, pray all these things 
in Jesus' name, for his glory, Lord, would many come to know you through this time. Um, would we, with Paul, even this week, uh, embrace more, feel more, live out more, that great debt that we get to discharge, not to keep the gospel to ourselves, but to pass it on. Um, those that we put around us, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our family, um, to strangers. Okay, we've got like a full 20 minutes, so Q&A time, baby. That's a tough one. Some saint, some elderly saint. All right, give me, give me some, what, it could be, it could be anything in 1 through 15, it could be something else too, but especially something um, that we talked about tonight or last week. Right, that fullness, that, yeah, that shalom in the Hebrew is really like a fullness of, it's a thriving, yeah, good. Yeah, it's a really pertinent word, you know, it's the, it's the cessation of hostility, but it's so much more than that, right? Everything needed for full, abundant life that Jesus called. It's so contrary to even what Paul says here, right? He's like, I, I'm a debt. I've, I'm a debtor. If I, woe to me if I don't pass this on. That's why I've been commissioned. And that's true of each one of us. Be shy. Come on. Q&A time in a lecture series is often the most exciting, interesting. When's that guy going to stop droning? Oh, that's an interesting question. You know, that's usually how it goes. So, I, I, I purposefully want to, I decided I want to record this Q&A time because like what I just said is true. I love this. So give me, give me whatever you got. Just nothing silly, but. Real, no. good, that's great, yeah, yeah, thanks, because um, I didn't touch on that, it's a good question, so although, yeah, I definitely, this is not a comprehensive study, right, I won't be able to touch on everything, um, in fact, moving forward, I'll really try to, so that we stay within our time, which is always a, a, a trial for me, really try to kind of hit three major things that, that kind of tie the text together, and we'll unpack those, but I will miss stuff. So, good question. To all those who are in Rome, verse 7, who are loved by God, uh, which we talked about some, and called to be saints. So, there's a ton, a couple things there 
the, the second of which is saints, which you mentioned, um, but called to be saints, right? So you're going to see this. I won't get into it much because we'll get into it more later, certainly in chapter 9. Chapter 9 is really sort of the election, God's, God's calling um, chapter uh, Paul it theologically lays into for a whole chapter the fact that God, uh, we don't come to God unless God calls us to himself, that he is sovereign in salvation. And that's actually one of the planks of our particular brand of um, uh, Protestant Christianity that, that we, it's not something that you have to believe to be even a member um, of, of our church, but we do hold to soteriologically, salvifically, to do with salvation, we do hold to the theological, biblical, doctrinal truth that we have absolutely nothing to do with our salvation. Jesus Christ affects, wins it all, uh, gives it to us by calling us to himself. And, and uh, when, we, when he calls us to himself, we respond in faith, those that he's called to himself. Um, and so Paul is really... Even in just saying called to be saints, he's really sort of the very short form, unpack, beginning to unpack his theology there, which is that God is sovereign in salvation. Um, the, the only saints are those that have been called by God. And, and, and we're going to get into that doctrine. When I put it like that, it almost sounds like, no, it's, it's called in the Reformed faith, it's called a, a doctrine of grace. Another way of lo- to look at it, and then I'll move to saints, um, is that without God's calling, don't look at it as, well, necessarily don't start by looking at it as well why didn't he call everyone in other words as god is not gracious look at it rather as our relationship with god is such we being dead in our sins and trespasses ephesians chapter 2 that if he did not call some to himself none would be saved none would believe on him now why he does that we'll get into some that's that's what paul opens up with in ephesians chapter 1 some um it's a it's the mystery of his of his will it's a mystery but it's certainly not due to anything good we've done. It's, it's due to his goodness and his wisdom. We know the disposition of God, though, through Jesus, which is anyone who comes will be saved. And he invites all. So if you're wondering, well, what if I want to come to him and I'm not chosen? Guess what? You are. Come to him. You're welcome. That's why his arms are open wide. That's why the symbol of our faith is God on a cross, pinned there, not because of the nails, but because he chose to be. Because he chose not to call down 12,000 angels to, to set him free and to wreak vengeance on his persecutors, but rather he was hanging up there to finish the work of our salvation out of great love for us. And he says, come to me anyway. And he, you know, forgave the thief on the cross who was at one point ridiculing him and, and then heard enough and saw enough of how Jesus was acting and he turned and he started rebuking his friends. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So, so it's a gracious doctrine that God calls us. We'll get much more into that later. Um, but he calls us to be saints. The word saints there, anyone know what that word means? Okay, good. It's, 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 uh, it literally means holy ones. So um, Sarah, he's, he's calling every, every saved person, every member of the invisible church, of those who are truly saved and called by God and washed by the blood of Jesus and, and born again into the living hope of Christ. He calls them holy ones or set apart ones. Um, and so literally every Christian is a saint. Every Christian is set apart uh, by God to be his child and to have a mission in the world of telling others about him, enjoying him 
and telling others the good news of what God has done in Christ and that it's free. It's a free offer of salvation. So um, holy, set apart, it also speaks to something of our living, right? Um, that we are in the world. We're surrounded by those that hate God and are going their own way, as we used to do. Um, but we are to live counterculturally, we're to live differently. In the midst of the world, not to pull ourselves. It's easy to live on one or two poles, right? It's easy to live outside of the world and go be a monk somewhere. Uh, not to necessarily speak against, you know, there's a lot of good stuff that they have done and do, but not to pull out of the world. What does is, what is the incarnation show us, among other things? That Jesus came to be right in the middle of the world, to live among them. He calls Christians to be not just a, a mound of salt on a stake. That's disgusting. Use somebody else's illustration, but to be spread out over the stake, to to bring out the flavor, to preserve. Salt is, brings out flavor. It's also a preservative. We're the salt of the of the earth. Um, sorry, say again. He said we're called to be in the world, but not not like the world. And that's one of the ways that people will come to Christ is as we're in the world around them, not all cloistered up, living by all by ourselves, enjoying the gospel to ourselves, but among. Our neighbors and coworkers and those that we're interacting with that are far from God, that are hating God, even if they don't know it, um, but that they're, they're seeing us live and speak differently and love our enemies and serve them and do it, and all of a sudden, and so in the world but not of it, so it's easy to be cloistered away, um, and it's easy to be in the world, right in the middle of the world where God's called us, but of the world, and to look just like them. So those two things are easy. But the hard part is what God's called us to, which is what he took his own medicine, right? He came. He never calls us to something he hasn't done first, and he's not willing to do and hasn't done anything to do. So he calls us to be um, set apart but not cloistered in and among those that he's called us to say. What did Je- I mean, Jesus got accused all the time of being a friend of sinners. You know, the, the religious, uh, whole, you know, pastors, basically. Um, it, it's a problem for me that Jesus' biggest enemies were pastors, you know, because I'm a pastor. You know, that's, that's a given should, um, but he's always picking fights with pastors, and they're always picking fights with him, um, but it was the, it was the, uh, it was those that were known as sinners, that everyone knew, like, oh, that's a sinner, whether through sexual sin, or, you know, falling down drunk in a ditch, or whatever it was that Jesus loved to spend time with, and he calls all sinners to himself, but it, it's not that he hated religious people, it's that they didn't think they had a need for him. Sinners know they're sinners, typically, they're notorious sinners, right? Religious people can convince themselves that they're okay, and that's the most dangerous thing. And so Jesus was eating and drinking and spending time with, and he was rebuked for that, and he said, hey, sick people are the ones that need a doctor. I'm the doctor. If you're well, then apparently you don't need me. So anyway, that's a lot more than, but yeah, saints means set apart ones or holy ones, in short, and we're all, every Christian is a saint um, through, through the holiness of Jesus. Should because it's in the Bible. It's all through Paul's letters. He's always calling the church saints. Yeah, I think it reminds us of one. I think that's a great point because it helps to remind us of of the core of the gospel, which is that man, I don't feel like a saint, but if I understand that my righteousness, and we're going to talk much more about this next week because it's the center of the text, or two weeks from now when I'm back in town. Verses 16 and 17, the righteousness that we have in Christ is a righteousness that's not our own. It's not our own. It's not through what we do. It's through 
It's his, it's 100%, and I'm, you know, teaser for next, for two weeks from now, but it's 100%, theologians call it, and we'll get, we'll come back to this in two weeks, an alien righteousness, right? What does that mean? Does that mean like, oh, it has a, there's a flying saucer attached? No. What does it mean? It's foreign. It's outside. Alien means outside. It's, it's an outside righteousness that's applied to us. It's not of us. It's of him. Salvation comes from the outside for us. It's other, and it's applied to us as if it were our own through the open hand of faith. That's why anyone can be saved, because anyone can receive that. It's not of you. It's him. It's objective. It's factual. It's forensic. It's real. It's real. It's not what you feel. It's his righteousness over you and characterizing you for the worst of sinners. That's the gospel. And when that penny drops, dynamite gets lit. It literally changed the West 500 years ago, and it's still doing that today. And that's one of my prayers for us, that it would do it, that in our hearts. And once, once that happens in your heart, you're unstoppable. Not because of you, but because, because when it clicks what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, you can't wait to tell people. It'll change your life. No, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, all of a sudden, yeah, it's like all of a sudden I'm, not only does that speak to my condition, but it also speaks to my mission, kind of like you were intimating, right? It speaks to the fact that I don't, I'm no longer, I mean, in our culture, we're constantly imbibing the whole, like, hey, live for yourself, live, follow your heart, live for retirement, you need this, you need that, like, eat, consume more things, that's going to make you happy, yeah, how's that turning out for us? Rather than, I mean, that's a very small world we've been convinced, is, you know, we're, it's, we're just curved in on ourselves, and follow my heart is a pretty, it's a pretty small place to live in, but all of a sudden, when we learn that we're called, we're set apart for a mission that's as big as God, and that's never going to end, and that's going to result in a and the king being among us, our king and our savior reigning among us in a new creation, and that we're inviting other people into that, whoa, all of a sudden, the walls of my world just got knocked out. And I, and I have a reason to get up in the morning. And it's not about me, but I'm, I'm, I'm allowed to be an integral part of it. I'm invited into the dance. It has to be bigger than us, and it is. And so that, that really, and you see that lacing, permeating, peppering Paul's Paul work because it because it is his worldview because it, it is Jesus the true worldview and so yeah that's that yeah that that's that's embedded in even that word there that's good anything else um we got about five more minutes let's let's get a few more in I, I won't spend as long <laughs> on the next one what else we got I know we have more questions No, no, do it, do it, keep going, I'll, I'll repeat it. Impart to you some spiritual gift, yeah? Yes. Yeah. You know, that's, Cheryl, that's a great question. I, it's honestly a question that I, I, I think that I didn't really dig into. Um, 
I'm by no means master of any text, certainly not, not this one. And I didn't really spend much time really trying to unpack that and understand it. But I do, I, I would go with initially the, um, just the plain reading that you, that you mentioned as a second option of, of like, when he's with them, he, t- he speaks in other letters too of, um, you know, of like the, the spiritual gift that he's talking to Timothy about, the spiritual, remember the spiritual gift that's yours and it was yours in the length when I laid my hands on you. And so I do think it's that um, we all are given gifts or at least a gift, a primary gift. We can walk in others at, at certain times by the Holy Spirit. And he lists some out in Romans 12 here. He has another list in Ephesians 4. And then he has a big list in, in, first, in first, uh Corinthians 12. Um, but uh, I do think it's talking about the fact that when he's with them, he wants to be able to, um, yeah, help, help fan into flame some of the gift, their gifts of the Holy Spirit, maybe that they're not walking in. Um, it could be more. It could, not, it could not be that. I really don't know. That's a good question. Anybody have any insight there? Yeah, what does is, what is Tim Cummins C.S. Lewis say in Tolkien? Uh, Cheryl, do you have a read on that? I mean, maybe you, you have an insight into it. Yeah, Mom. And uh, I think there's even evidence, that's a good, mom, thanks for sharing that. There's maybe evidence even within that, that verse, Cheryl, of perhaps um, for, the, for the view that you suggested and, and, and that I sort of laid out just in a cursory fashion, because um, he says to strengthen you. And so we, we know plainly that um, the gifts are for, the spiritual gifts are for the edification of the body of the church. Yeah. Gifts of encouragement, yeah, words of knowledge, uh, prophecies about, and prophecies are almost always, they're very rarely rebuked in the church. They're almost always extremely encouraging and calling something out that you see in someone. And so, yeah, I think, um, and, it, and it happens, I mean, it's body life. It happens, we, we can see things, I see in you conversation. We can see things and pray for each other, uh, pray, pray things over each other and, and draw things out of each other that the Spirit, we see the Spirit wanting to give or giving someone else that it's really, it's not just, they aren't given in isolation, frustration, joy, they're really given for us to bless the body with and to strengthen the body with. And then some people will come to know, know the Lord through those things. Like if somebody hears a prophecy that there's no way they, that person could have known other than through the Lord, then they can, somebody that comes into that fellowship can see that and go, God must be real. And so Paul talks about that, right, in, in Corinthians um, 14. But um, good question. Yeah, I have to I have to admit ignorance, but that's my best guess for now. Um, I might be able to. One thing is during our Q&A, if I don't have a satisfactory answer or, or I'm wrong or, you know, somebody offers up something better or whatever and I'm, or I'm more curious and I can kind of dig and come back next week and we can talk.
talk more about it, so maybe I'll do this again. Um, one more, if we have one more, it's okay, I'll close this down in a minute or two regardless, but any, anything else that's somebody's dying to, to ask? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, Willie, concise as always. Thank you. Um, that's exactly right. Um, yeah, he's eager. Yeah, I didn't really press in on it, so thank you for sort of, it's a great verse to wrap on because it is the last verse in our text. It's the last verse in the introduction before he gets into the thesis of the book. Um, and he says, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And that's exactly right. He's preaching to, he wants to go preach the gospel to believers, to saints. It's how we grow. I remember a, a, pa, a professor of mine saying, hey, all I want on Sunday is the pastor just preach the gospel to me again. Just to remind me. There is no better message. There's nothing, you don't graduate from the gospel. It's the, it's the, it's the shallow kiddie pool that a three-year-old cannot drown in and enjoy and be cooled by with his floaties. And it's the deep sea that, that the most mature believer could never plumb the depths of. The, think about it. God coming to rescue us by sending us his very self, his very son, living the life that we should live but can't, dying the death that we deserve on a Roman cross. We killed God. You can't get any more evil. He used that to open up a door to salvation for anyone who believes. How could we ever plumb the depths of that? We'll be talking about it forever. That's one of the reasons I think that Jesus still has, I think there are many reasons. We know it's, we know it's actually the crucified one. There, he still has the stigmata. He still has the holes in his wrists and in his, and in his side. Um, partially, I think, because he, he, he will be the center of the universe. He will be the king who reigns and out of whom and out of whose work comes the new kingdom. And we will forever know, yeah, it's because of what he did. That's why I'm here. Not because of anything I did. He called me not because I'm good. He called me because of his sheer mercy and favor, freely given in Jesus, fully received by faith, not by good works. Good works are a result of that. Yeah. And then we'll, and then we'll be done. And the more you walk, and the more you walk with him, and the longer you walk with him, the more that means to you, and the and the and the more profound you see it is. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Well, let me let me close. I want to I want to respect y'all's time. We're a few minutes over already. So, um, yeah. Thank y'all. Uh, if you're like me, I wish we could go on all night, but I know we got kids and spouses and other things that. In uh, in in a bed that beckon, Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for every single person here. I pray that we would all 
uh, come back and bring friends, bring people that don't know you, that you would increase our number and that you would, most importantly, that you would seize us with your goodness in Christ, with the free offer, uh, with, the, with the offer of free salvation, dearly bought by him at the highest price, freely offered and given to any takers who look to Jesus, that alien righteousness um, that's, that's offered to all who come to him, to the worst of sinners. And so, Lord, we thank you for this uh, adventure that's starting, and I, and I pray that you would uh, just press that, the gospel, more and more deeply into our hearts and that it would play out in our lives and that many would come to know you and that we would be deeply uh, encouraged and built up in you. For your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.